Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We're lawyers, mothers, and co-hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. We have more in common than divides us. In a world that defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. The choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Nuanced Life. We are so happy to have you here today. We're going to talk about graduation because it's that time of year and it's a unique one. We're going to talk about grief and we're going to start the show with a conversation about anger. We had a listener reach out and say, I feel like my anger is going to burn me up. Have y'all ever talked about anger? And we thought, no, we haven't. I mean, listen, I'm an Enneagram one, so it's my default emotion. So I'm all in on this conversation about anger. Anger is really tough for me. I feel like a lot of my work with my therapist is about accessing anger in a healthier way <laughs> because my tendency is to suppress my anger. I feel like it makes other people uncomfortable. I've sort of wrapped up my identity in being this soft place for people to land. And so I struggle with anger and I do have this sense that Adam, who asked the question, put so well that sometimes I, it just builds and builds and builds. And then for me, it usually comes out in like sobbing tears. I think even if you're if you are comfortable with anger. As a woman, the tears come like I definitely cry when I get mad, even though I get mad a lot and I'm very comfortable with anger because it, what I mean, what are we going to do? Punch a wall like <laughs> I don't really think that's available. I mean, I'm I'm being a little flippant. My stepfather had a very bad temper. He was never physically abusive, but there was lots of screaming. There was lots of throwing things. So there's a part of me that's like, why am I leaning on this emotion that, like, I grew up with and that used to, like, make me feel so uncomfortable and so frustrated and so, of course, angry. And then I think, well, of course, that, you know, that's what I saw. And so I've done a lot of work in therapy trying to think through my sort of default leaning into anger. So because I because I, I think it is very difficult to find a good balance in our culture and particularly as a woman, because I think either it's, you know, overabundant or undertapped. And I think that's that's the difficult space with anger. Yeah, my experience of other people's anger always brings up in me something that feels like fear. And I, that's a big part of my problem. I don't like feeling that fear. And so I have decided that anger is selfish and that you could you should never make someone else feel that fear. And I think I've only got that like 30 percent right, because I want my daughters to be able to experience anger from a healthy perspective both their own and other people's. And so 
whenever something happens around here and they say, are you mad at me? If I am, I'll say, yes, I am mad right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I don't want them to automatically think that if someone's mad, I should be afraid. And I always follow it up with, I love you. I could be furious at you and still love you. But I want to talk about what's going on here. Because I think what I've missed on anger, there, there is a selfish component in that what you're saying is, what I am feeling is intense enough that it is worth the discomfort of other people for us to be with it for a second. And I've never been very good at that. And that's really what I want my daughters to have, that sense that their feelings when they reach a level of intensity are worth other people being uncomfortable about. And I'm trying to teach them that my feelings are worth being uncomfortable about, too. I think that's really hard. You know, what I try to I have this conversation with the women in my family, I think, a lot because they are very uncomfortable with my comfort with anger and being sort of forceful in my opinions including being angry about how things are. To me, there's this this line where I'm not going to be angry at someone and abusive and tell them it's all their fault and they're the worst and this is, you know, how dare you. But if I feel like there's been, and again, I'm an Enneagram one, an unfairness or an injustice, I'm very comfortable expressing my anger at a situation, not a person, but a situation And when I feel like I'm doing that, there's a part of me that's very much like, I'm not in charge of your reaction to that. I have a, I I don't, you know, I don't know where I got this. I don't think, I definitely didn't get from the women in my family. And I think it does set me apart in the way most people, particularly women, react in that I just do not feel responsibility for other people's emotions because I have no control over them. And... So with my with anger, again, I'm not it's not like I'm, you know, throwing things and screaming at people's face and telling them how worthless they are. <laughs> I'm not. But if I'm angry and I think like there's something wrong about a situation or or something needs to change, I really don't have any problem expressing that forcefully and I don't feel an enormous amount of responsibility you know, to sort through, well, is my anger going to make you feel X, Y? I just, you know, I I, I can't, I can't do that. Like, I, I feel responsibility to that with, like, the people in my immediate family. And I don't go around rolling around and just polite society screaming and, and being angry a lot. And I do think there's a lot of work in families, just personality difference, backgrounds with spouses, you know, kids, all this stuff. To figure out, like, well, what, what, when I yell, what does that do to that person? And do I really need to think through that? But, like, just out sort of with other adults, I don't feel a lot of responsibility for that because I just don't think there's anything you can do to a certain extent because I don't, the one thing you can control are your own reactions. And, you know, beyond that, you just, I, I've, I've never been very successful in moving other people's emotions or uh, opinions. About me. So I I gave up, I guess, is probably what it really comes down to. I think what I have come to understand with a lot of practice and professional guidance and work experience is that I have spent my life trying to make people comfortable. And what is healthier than trying to make other people comfortable is just trying to build trust with other people. Mm Mm-hmm. Because when trust exists, you can be really angry and you can be really 
direct and directive, and you can say a whole lot of things that need saying once you've established that trust. And it was hard for me to establish that trust because not to go full Enneagram here, but I'm a two. And so I kind of live my life feeling like, does everybody love me enough? I'm not sure they do. I'm not sure I'm getting loved enough here. Right. And so I wasn't trusting other people to hold room for a version of me that didn't feel comfortable. But what I realized as a professional, once I kind of came to this understanding is that my risk is not blowing something up. My risk is not saying what needs to be said because I'm not trusting Mm -hmm. the people around me. And I think that that is a huge part of why, as Adam said in his message to us, we feel like a country of exasperated people because we Mm -hmm. are holding all this anger and it only comes out in the least productive ways and it only comes out in ways that cause us to trust each other less. Right. And if we would just build the trust so we could say the hard things that need saying, we'd be in a really different state. I think that's exactly right. I think if you don't trust people to witness your anger, if you have truly been wronged or there is truly an issue, I don't I don't know how you how you build trust if you're swallowing that constantly. You know, I think a lot about my college roommate who is just a, is a she's a blessing um, and we are exceptionally different people. And she is, you know, I am very extroverted. She is very introverted. I am very expressive. She is very quiet. Like, in every way, we are different. And, you know, I remember her saying to me, like, I get that you don't mind conflict and you're comfortable getting angry when you're upset about something, but it makes me feel X, Y, and Z. And it's not like I was like, well, forget you. I don't have any control over your emotions. I was like, okay, that's really helpful information. You know, like, I I think that there's a part of me that, just moves through the world believing that adults will tell you if they don't like it. But they won't. Hardly ever. Hardly ever will adults I tell know. you if they don't like it. How do we get on board with that? How do we? I mean, so the only thing I know to do is just be an example and just say, well, I do it and it works out well for me. And that's all I can do is show you that I did it. It turned out OK. I'm not saying every time I've expressed anger, it went swimmingly. But. I do like to think that I have some really good friendships and relationships in my life because I was open and upfront during times of conflict and showed like, hey, man, there's another way here. Um, that Now, the upside is if you're a person like me or the downside, if you're a person like me who's really expressive about your emotions, there's this like weird paradox where people think they can't hurt your feelings because you talk about your feelings openly. <laughs> PSA, even super expressive people can have their feelings hurt. But it's so foreign to me that I do. I do struggle in those moments where no one's. And that's why, honestly, like why I didn't love politics, local politics, as much as I thought I would, because there's a lot of like going unsaid. And there's just a part of me that wants to scream angrily sometimes. Can't everybody just say how they feel? This is why I would be a terrible HR manager or a brilliant one. I mean, jury's still out. Who knows? I think something that I have found to be effective for me and I don't know that this would be effective for everyone, is knowing that anger belongs and also anger can wait. Mm -hmm. That I can be angry about something and that doesn't necessitate the kind of immediate expression that I have always associated with sort of fear and a lack of control Mm. and selfishness and weakness. Because that's like temper. That's right. It's like you need a different word. Right. Anger that is considered 
and that is brought to me in a loving way with an atmosphere of trust is productive. And that's why really like when my kids say, are you mad? I can say calmly, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can show them like there is a calm version of mad. There is a version of angry where I am still in complete control. And when I feel with them like I'm losing that a little bit, I say it. I'll say, I need to take a walk because Mm -hmm. I'm really frustrated right now. And I'm going to say something that I don't want to say or that I don't mean. And I just need a few minutes. And then let's come back to this. And then we do. And I feel really good about my parenting around this, honestly, mostly because I feel like I'm getting just an instruction manual from my therapist. Yeah, I think narrating it, like you always say, is really good. Like I I read on a parenting app one time, the woman was like, I will literally say, I feel like I'm about to yell at you. I'm really frustrated and I feel like I want I need to yell and I don't want to yell or I'm going to yell, like just giving a heads up. I'm going to yell because I feel like you're not listening to me. And that really does help. It's probably, you know, it's the same thing as journaling and talk therapy and everything. Just taking, you know, anger is the same as any intense emotion. If you can take a moment to pull it over into the side of your brain that needs to articulate it, it really helps. So the other thing in Adam's message that I think we should spend just a second on is he, I think, is expressing a sense of anger at sort of the collective we. And we've been Mm. a lot talking about anger one-on-one. Yeah, I have been on a long journey with this as well. I think I definitely felt a lot of, spent a lot of time in my 20s and early 30s just being so angry and feeling like people didn't have information or they weren't paying attention or why weren't they seeing it this way. And truly, I just got, it's just, I just got too tired. I can't do it anymore. I can't be angry at people's, as ignorance as I see it or frustrated with people whose politics aren't the same as mine. It just didn't get me anywhere is the truth. And 2016 was definitely the breaking point where I was like, well, this is just how it is. It's never going to change. People are different. We live in a country of 300 million people. So we're going to have different views on things. I don't really want to overstate that. But like beating your head up against a wall about feeling like people are stupid or people are selfish or people are this or people like, I don't know what to tell you except for like full Dr. Phil. Is it working? Because it was not working for me. It really was not working for me. And I had to take a more Buddhist approach of like, you just got to meet people where you are because you literally have no choice. You cannot shame them into changing. You cannot convince them that they are stupid. It's just not how the human brain works. And it's exhausting. And so I just had to give it up. My view on this is heavily influenced by Mary Poppins. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the suffragette song? Where the mom sings, though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group, they're rather stupid. I just held on to that to understand not just men, but that I love people one on one and I mostly don't like people in groups. And that probably Mm. influences my politics really significantly and my views on lots of things. I don't like surveys. You know, when I get a collective of people, (laughs) I start to recoil um, and I adore people one on one. And I just think it's maybe okay to be there, but being in a constant state about it ignores that I am people too. I am part Mm. of that collective, too. I can also be stubborn, selfish, uninformed, out of control, whatever. You know, I think one of the best things that the Enneagram has given me is not the number itself, but the subtypes, 
where you understand, are you primarily a person who likes to connect one-on-one? Are you more of a social person? Or are you more self-preservation minded? And we all have all three components, but they're stacked differently in us in terms of what is dominant. And my husband, I think, is a self-preservation dominant person, and I am that one-to-one. And knowing that has just resolved so much conflict that could have played out in my mind because I realize now, oh, this is difference, not rejection. Mm. And also, let me be him for a second and see how I'm contributing to this problem. And I think that's where I have gotten with people are stupid is that, yes, people are stupid and I am too about certain things at certain times in certain ways. And so that helps me kind of dissolve my anger about that collective inadequacy because I'm, I'm part of it. Well, it's that time of year. So next up, we're going to talk about graduation. As an insurance. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Marketplace Policy Genius talks a lot about how unpredictable the future is. That's why insurance exists in the first place. Right now, life is unpredictable and scary, but there are enough brands out there telling you how we're all in this together. Instead, Here's Policy Genius's top three unpredictably positive things from April. Thousands of dogs and cats across America have found new homes. Everyone is a baker now, and fresh bread is the best smell ever. People across the world are acting with kindness, compassion, and heroism. Now, there's no graceful segue here, but Policy Genius is an insurance marketplace, and there's a big demand for life insurance right now. So if you're looking to get life insurance, here's how they can help. Policy Genius compares quotes from the top life insurance companies in one place. It takes just a few minutes to compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. This doesn't just save a lot of legwork. You could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape for free. They're in contact with the life insurance companies every day, monitoring developments and helping customers navigate every step. So if you're one of the many people looking to buy life insurance right now, but you're not sure where to start, head to PolicyGenius.com. Policy Genius will find you the best rate and handle the price completely. You can stop worrying about life insurance and get back to baking your own bread, adopting a furry friend, or just being a kind and considerate human. from Grace today in our Ask Sarah and Beth section. She is a college senior in Indiana. Her college, like many across the country, has gone online for the rest of the semester. And Grace totally supports that decision and feels very proud of her school for making it. And she says, in the same breath, I am really struggling with the fact that I'm a senior and that my college experience has so abruptly ended in so many ways. 
She had plans with her best friend group to say goodbye to the place that she has grown to love and that's made her the person she is. Her girlfriends and she were going to take a night or two to go around campus and revisit all their old favorite places and remind themselves of the memories they've shared there. And she says, you know, I'm just watching all of that evaporate. And there are lots of things I wanted to do. I wanted to see professors. I wanted to see my friends in our drum line. And she says, now I am left ending my senior year online and feeling this enormous sense of incompleteness. It feels so unfinished in so many ways. I think this is really difficult. I would have a very hard time with this. I'm just going to be honest. I really loved college. I really needed those moments to have senior trips and senior ceremonies and all of those things to put an ending to such an important experience in my life. And so I just wanted to say, I see you. I see you, Grace. I know this must be really, really hard. And my heart breaks that you are not getting that experience that you needed. I mean, I think hopefully there will be moments for you and your friends to gather and to share those memories. Something tells me that y'all are going to have a hell of a college reunion, which are usually lame. But now you can channel all this energy (laughs) to have a really good one. But I still think that that is really, really, really hard. And I'm so sorry for you. I hope that Grace and others in this boat, and there are so many people here in so many different ways, can find something that feels like a good ritual. And I think that's going to be different for everybody. My third grader on a much different level is really sad about school ending this year. And what she is most fixated on is that usually on the last day of school, they all wear field day t-shirts and sign each other's shirts. And she is really Mm. beyond upset about not having that shirt signing. And I can't replace that. You know, there's not a thing I could do here that would be as exciting as that for her. But what we are doing is we're going to sit down on her last day of school together and go through all the pictures I've taken of the stuff we've done at home during coronavirus and non-traditional instruction. And we're going to put together a big photo album of that stuff. And we're going to frame some of those pictures and just let her kind of decide how she wants to make memories from this time. And will there be cake, you know, and other things? And I just think you want to think about your friend group specifically and what you all could do together that would give you some sort of ritual and some sort of ending. I wish I could say, you know, here's the best idea. But I think this is a chance to do that in a way that is super personalized to you guys. And that's what I would recommend. Like, what is the connective tissue in that friend group that you could do something with even in a socially distant way that feels like that was a beautiful way to make this happen. And may it involve cookie cake. Amen. (laughs) In the territory of rituals, Nina wrote to us about a death of a neighbor of hers who passed away from stomach cancer. She said this person was in her beloved home when she died, two doors down from Nina encircled by daughters and a sister who managed to get there just in time for a few days together before she passed. And Nina said, So last night, another family on the block arranged for a small vigil in front of the grieving home. Around 8 p.m., we trickled out onto the street bearing boxes of candles, bundled flowers, and homemade cards. Quietly, we lit tea lights along the front porch and down the walking path. 
We nodded at each other from behind face masks and spread out across the sidewalk, between parked cars and trash bins awaiting pickup. We each held pillar candles ordinarily meant for table decor, and we stood to offer simple witness. When the family joined, there were prayers from across spiritual traditions. Someone remembered that our neighbor loved the song Edelweiss, and so we sang, humming over forgotten words and tenderly building harmonies as Nashvillians do. It wasn't until the end that folks actually introduced themselves. We were a small band of neighborly strangers improvising in love. Nina says there is so much heartbreak to be felt as the world navigates waves of loss, and sometimes I'm hesitant to name the beauty at the risk of placating the pain. And also, in the wisdom of Mary Oliver, I believe in the necessity of our paying attention to the world, of our vulnerability to astonishment, of our telling about it. It's so beautiful. I'm hesitant to add anything because I think Nina did a really beautiful job of capturing that moment and commemorating it. I think that one of the most heartbreaking parts of COVID-19 is the people either passing away alone or not being able to grieve in the traditional ways to have funerals with their family members. And I think at the same time, paradoxically, when you can't simply sort of move through the preordained process, there is a different type of awareness. It is, I think, without a doubt, a more painful awareness when you can't just, okay, we do this and we do this and we move through this process that our ancestors move through and people all over the world move through and there's a comfort in that. And so I think there's a painful awareness when you have to think through every step, well, how are we going to do it when we can't do it the regular way? But I do think that there is an effect on the grief and the process that will be long lasting when you have to move through that process so carefully. And with such an awareness that every step has to be chosen because the regular path is not available. And it is my, you know, ardent prayer that that people do feel that in the coming months and the coming years. That it it hurt so badly and every step was so painful, but that there was an impact in doing it in a in a different way that can offer some relief, hopefully down the road. Laura is also dealing with. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. With this particular type of grief, her husband's father died after a long battle with cancer. And she is in Austin, Texas. Her father-in-law is in eastern Kentucky. Uh, It's a long way. This is a point in time where I don't know how I would travel to Austin, Texas if I needed to right now from Kentucky. And I can imagine coming the other way would be really difficult. And they're just sad that they can't gather with her husband's family, that they can't go through the rituals that everyone has has gone through, as you were just saying so well, Sarah, that they're not there to comfort Laura's mother-in-law, who loved this man for over 55 years. And she says, 
Also, her mother-in-law is 81, and her health is fragile too, and everybody has to do their part to keep her safe and stay at home. So they're looking for ways to zoom into the graveside service. Close friends, not family members, will have to be the pallbearers her father-in-law's casket. It's just a very tough thing. And Laura says, We should just be able to acknowledge how much this coronavirus is taking, what is so precious and fleeting. And I pray each citizen of the United States will do their part to contain this monster. High fives to you, Stevens County, Texas, so we can get back to living our lives in communion with one another as God intended soon. So wherever you are, whatever point in life, whatever you're grieving, we hope that you're finding space to bring some awareness to that moment, to witness it, to commemorate it. And we are always so grateful when you choose to do that with us here at The Nuance Life. We'll be back in your ears on Pantsy Politics on Friday, here again next Wednesday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces The Nuance Life. Elise Knapp is our managing director. The Nuance Life is listener supported. Go to patreon.com slash the nuance life. For $5 each month, you'll receive an entire bonus episode of The Nuance Life. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Dylan Garvin is the composer and performer of our ad music. For more information about The Nuance Life and to connect with us through our weekly email, visit pantsuitpoliticsshow.com.